0: Hello and welcome to the first ever Planorama podcast. This is a new series of episodes in partnership with some of our sponsors. And today we're delighted to be joined by representatives from global law firm Sherman and Sterling. I'm here with James Matthews and Jonathan Toffolo. They are the co-chairs of Sterling Pride, the corporation's pride network. Um, Thanks for joining us, guys. I thought we could perhaps start today's episode with an overview of your careers so far and sort of how you got to where you are today.
1: Okay, well, I'll go first. So my name's James Matthews. Um, I'm a senior senior associate here at Sherman um, in the litigation team. So sort of clue is in the name there for me. I'm a sort of litigator by trade. I did my training contract in the usual way. Litigation was actually my fourth seat. Um, I just really enjoyed it and, and never moved out of that seat, really. That's where I qualified. I actually qualified in a UK firm before moving to... Um, to Sherman, so I've sort of seen both sides of the aisle in in that sense, if you like. Um, Yeah, I do general sort of commercial litigation, regulatory investigations, that sort of thing. So that's sort of my my legal background. Um, Jonathan.
2: Thank you. So my name is Jonathan Toffolo. I'm a senior associate in the project development and finance team um, at Sherman. I actually also trained elsewhere at a UK firm um, and then moved here about three years ago. Uh, My practice is focused mainly on emerging markets, so doing greenfield project financings and also on uh, acquisitions, so what we call brownfield uh, infrastructure financings um, based mainly in Europe. And I've been sort of doing that now for seven years, I think. (laughs) That's me. Fabulous. Thanks, guys. So continuing on that theme, how would you say
0: that working at Sherman Sterling compares and differs to some of the other jobs that you've had previous to this?
1: Um for for me, for Sherman, I mean what's different, it's a slightly smaller team than at my old job, which I quite like, and that was one of the reasons for coming here. Um I would say there's I mean there's not <laughs> I mean there's not a whole lot else that is different, I'd say, in terms of the culture and that sort of thing. I mean, Sherman, for my part, I'd say is quite an anglicised London office in a lot of ways. So it's sort of very familiar for lots of, I think, English or British or, or wherever you're from, lawyers moving here from another firm mm-hmm. I- in London. So there's sort of a lot of continuity there. And we as will sort of come on to discuss. Um, I think we sort of really do play sort of a role in all the sort of major sort of LGBT sort of networks and events that you'd expect a, a London law firm to be playing a role in?
2: I think from my perspective, in the sort of project finance space, you know, you usually have a sort of basic structure, if you will, not to get too technical, but you'll have the basic structure. Um, but somewhere like Shervin Serling, you almost never see that basic structure It's always going to have some sort of interesting quirk to it or permutation, or it's going to involve... Ten jurisdictions, or, or or certain other issues. So I think one of the things that sort of differs from my previous uh, work is that pretty much everything you, I end up doing here is first in kind, or first in country, or a, you know a new technology, um, or there's some other complication that means you know it comes to Sherman Sterling. You don't usually get sort of the the, the sort of vanilla, if you will, flow flow transactions. Um, I think as well, in terms of culturally, the kind of people that do well at Sherman are people who sort of want to take a bit more control over their careers and not necessarily just sort of be handed transactions and handed work and say, OK, here's another one like the one you've just done. And, um, you know, do the same thing again. It's it's very much about business development, about creating client relationships from sort of an early stage and trying to use those as best you can so i think if you're someone who is attracted to the more entrepreneurial side of things i think sherman it it would be a, a good fit
0: that's great thank you so one of the main reasons that plan was set up was in order to ease that transition between being a student and then entering the corporate field so what kind of advice would you give to lgbtq plus students in terms of easing any concerns or apprehensions that they may have in terms of entering corporate environments
1: for me i'd say i'd say entering the the sort of corporate legal world in london which is sort of my working experience in my career i mean i would the reassurance i would give is that very generally speaking it, it is, and is becoming more each year. I would say a more sort of friendly, welcoming, and inclusive place. Sure, there's there's always a lot to do and improvements that can be made. But of all the possible fields and you know areas of work that you could do, I, I would I would say this this for one. And and you know this was a factor for me, you know, several years ago when I was doing this as well, looking into it as well. I mean, the inclusivity side is is a big factor, I think, and a, and a pull if. If that's something that you do you do want to engage in and it is a concern for you
2: i completely agree i, I think you know what i was going to say is you know know your rights in a way you know the law is on our, is on our side generally speaking um but and law firms are sort of some of the best place organizations to know what the law says um so i think in terms of the the range of organisations you could consider working for I think a law firm is probably going to be up there in terms of uh, knowing their obligations um, I do think it's probably unlikely to experience sort of discrimination particularly overt discrimination mm. but I think even if you're worried about some something happening whether it's you know a microaggression or something slightly less direct if you will um, I think you should rest assured that there are enough allies now, as well as, you know, HR systems in place that understand the rules and understand the importance of having an inclusive environment, that you will have the support you need should that occur. And, you know, hopefully it it never will. Um, But I definitely think that that it's a supportive environment um, in the legal profession sort of more generally. Um, So, yeah, I, I would... I definitely wouldn't worry too much about it, but definitely read up on the policies, read up on your legal rights, check the websites of, of potential law firms you're thinking of applying to, see where they rank. You know, I know the rankings sort of take with a pinch of salt, but you know, look where they rank on Stonewall and things like that look at the pro bono work they do do they do a lot of lgbt pro bono work do they do a lot of csr with pro, with their lgbt organisations do they have out you know partners um, across the lgbt spectrum um, so all of these things i think i mean this is certainly what i was looking at when i was applying uh, i'm sure i'm sure people listening will also be looking at that
0: that's great so you talk generally about what's in place Um, in the company. So one of those is obviously Sterling Pride that you guys are the co-chairs of. So how important would you say you consider the work of Sterling Pride and other Pride networks within both law firms in general, um, but also other corporate companies that would have um, similar networks?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, I think it's an important question. Um, I mean, I think... It's it's clearly sort of integral to to the to what the firm is doing. I mean, we sort of touched on it with with the previous um, with the previous question that you know law firms, by their nature, you would expect them to be not just box ticking, but actually you know upholding and enforcing rights and and you know being a, a force for force for justice in that sort of wider sense that that we might use it in a sort of more societal kind of sense. Um, so. I think the reason that we have networks like Sterling Pride ultimately, and that the reason we participate in them um, actively is because that's, that, that's just part of our values as, as people. Uh, it's not just that we're in minorities, that's sort of just who we are. Uh, and that's a big part of why, why we're doing what we're doing as lawyers in the first place. Um, and I think, you know, you are seeing something of, I would say, a, you know, a bit of a diversity and inclusion push in, in wider society. And I think there's just this growing sense i hope of momentum and then it's just simply the right thing to do um that i mean that, that's what i would say
2: yeah i agree i think pride networks now are very much a staple of most organizations you'd hope i think it's it's useful because it provides a sort of focal point for both allies and members of the lgbt community and when you go into an organization you don't necessarily know anyone I found actually that the Pride Network has been a really useful way of making contacts throughout different departments mm. um, and has actually helped me from a work perspective because I've been on you know, pulled onto calls with arbitration team or I've had discussions with the restructuring insolvency team or people in, in New York uh, on deals just because I, I'm not afraid to pick up the phone to them because I've met them on a, on a selling Pride social or a selling pride call so i think that's really important i mean there's generally in most organizations you'll have various groups for different interests i wouldn't necessarily say that lgbt network is an interest group um, <laughs> but you know there are certainly common interests between members of the lgbt community that you can sort of discuss in that group but more than that it also becomes an important support network not just for your career but sort of psychologically as well you know if you're having problems or issues and you want to speak to someone who you know will just get it and will not sort of start saying well are you sure it was homophobic are you sure it was transphobic are you mm-hmm. sure they didn't mean this I'm sure people have heard that before um, from well-meaning people but um you know I, having that network is very important because you know we at Sherman we don't just talk about diversity inclusion we also talk about well-being as well and I think the well-being aspect, the mental health aspect, obviously members of the LGBT community can often suffer a lot more with that or have a lot more going on in their personal lives that could be triggering. Um, So having that network is I think also really important from a well-being perspective as well as everything else. Yeah
1: I think that's really interesting Jonathan because I hadn't really thought myself so much about the sort of support network element of the network but, but I guess I always had sort of knew just sort of implicitly entrusted that it sort of would, would be there if I ever needed it. So I, I guess that just shows it sort of is part of the firm's culture and is sort of doing its job in that sense. You may and hopefully will never need to lean on it, lean on it in that sense, but it's there if you do
2: need to. It's probably, I mean, also just on that, it's worth noting that, you know, throughout my career, there, there have been people who are only out at work. Mm. You know, they're actually not out in their personal life um and then it becomes really important for them to know that it's you know a safe space and and it's you know going to be supportive um of them because you know for whatever reason people might not be out to their family or, or friends or whatever um it becomes even more important for those people you know so when people say you know why do you need a pride network well actually that's yet another reason i, I think mm.
0: that's great and I think sort of to sort of tag along to that point that you kind of touched on at the end there, Jonathan, I think it's really important that people feel supported and that people have got that comfort blanket, which I think that you were starting to talk about, James. Um, So how would you say that as co-chairs of this network, um, you are kind of like figureheads for uh, the LGBTQ plus employees at Sherman Sterling? So what kind of role do you sort of envisage yourselves in and what kind of responsibility do you have as
2: co-chairs? So so we, we have quite a few roles. I mean, we... Mm. I mean, figurehead seems quite a grand <laughs> title. Yeah. I'm not sure if I would want to call myself that. But I think it's more about trying to help drive the process. The fact is, you know, everyone's very busy. People have day jobs. People have personalised, you know, what as, with as much goodwill in the world, you don't necessarily have all the time You can't to, do, to devote to the LGBT network. And I, I say that as people who aren't, who aren't co-chairs. Whereas for me and James, we've taken the decision that no, this is going to be an important part of our work, and we want to be here to push this. Um, so, so you know, that, I guess in that sense, that's that's kind of what we do as co-chairs is ensure that it, the 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 agenda—I don't like that word, but I can't think of another one now—the <laughs> the, the LGBT agenda um, is is always on the sort of firm agenda and aligned with what the firm is trying to do. I mean, from from a more sp- on a more specific basis, I mean, James, maybe you can talk about some of the things we actually do in the network. Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, in
2: terms of what the agenda is, I mean, yeah, there are
1: specific agenda points and sort of uh, events we have that I guess I can can talk to. I think I think maybe sort of cause doesn't sound quite right either. So I'll <laughs> stick to the uh, stick to the uh, the uh, Sterling Pride agenda. Um, well, yes. So, just to give you a taste of the sort of things that that we do and sort of will be doing, um, we've had a client event this year. It was virtual, but um, it's what we call a fireside chat, um, and that was on a particular client, an LGBT client's sort of personal story, his his journey in the corporate workspace to becoming a G, GC, um, and that was really interesting with one of the with a, one of the partners and another another lawyer. Um, it, it really sort of illuminated a lot of LGBT issues, um, a lot of sort of um, sort of intersectional issues as well, because that particular individual was was from an ethnic minority and uh, the, the country he was from as well and sort of crossed borders. So that was a really interesting event that had a lot of engagement and was sort of a bit of a lightning rod, I think, to talking about inclusion generally and just sort of opening up these discussions, which is really what we, you know, a big part of the role of what the network should be about. I think Um, we we've sort of, we're we're doing quite a bit from a graduate recruitment perspective as well. I suppose we are uh, next month, I think it is we're doing a graduate Q and A event um, that, uh, that a few people from the network will be on. So that's a good way to sort of engage uh, sort of in a similar sort of nature to this podcast, really. Um, We've recently recorded a video actually, from a sort of again, from a graduate recruitment perspective, just to give a flavour of what we're like as people and what the network here is like, and what Sherman has to offer from from that perspective. Um, Where in terms of upcoming events, I think there's sort of some sort of client event on the cards. We haven't got too far in that yet, but I don't know if you want to elaborate on that, Jonathan. If you've got any more, yeah. To <laughs> date and <I didn't> tell. <laughs>
2: no, that, that's fine. I think I think we might come on to discuss this a bit more generally later, but you know, Pride Month gets very busy, let's say, um, and it can mm-hmm. often be quite difficult to, to get events organised around Pride Month. So I think we are very focused on sort of spreading things out as much as possible, not least because it's, you know, it's important to make sure that it's on the agenda um, the whole time. I mean, one other thing that James mentioned was about the intersectional side of things. In one area where we've done a lot of work as selling Pride in the last i would say two years is first of all ensuring that our network is itself inclusive you know a lot a lot of pride networks actually in organizations tend to suffer the same problem which is that there's a lot of sort of white gay men involved but there aren't many other people from ethnic minorities very many women very many trans people very many non-binary people etc so we want to make sure that our Selling Pride Network is itself inclusive. Um, So we've been doing a lot of work to try and get additional um, colleagues to join, you know, and obviously in a law firm, sometimes you get this split between the fee earners, i.e. the lawyers, and people who aren't fee earning, people who work in business services, and so on, and support staff, and we didn't want that split really in in the Selling Pride Network in London, we wanted to make sure it was inclusive for everyone, Um, and that also goes to things like organising events, you know, you can't just organise drinks on a Friday night because some people job share, some people work part time, some people have other responsibilities, or frankly, other things they'd rather be doing on a Friday night. And um, um, so, so, it's very important to be mindful of that. Similarly, we've um, done a lot. Well, we've been supporting our Black network, particularly after you know the the murder of George Floyd, um, and in helping to pull together resources um, and just generally providing support to our colleagues who um maybe LGBT and and black or or just generally as another uh another network that wants to help and provide their allyship um so that's been a real focus for us the last two years I think it's really important it's worked well and it's something we want to keep doing.
0: Yeah that's great so in terms of how you came to this position what was it really that kind of inspired you or perhaps kind of a significant moment that kind of led you down the path of deciding that you wanted to take this particular position of responsibility that sort of drove the way in which um this inclusivity is supported and furthered at uh, sherman
1: yeah i mean i'm not sure i had a sort of big cathartic moment about it all really just so much as a you know, you sort of start a new firm, you you meet new people, you see what it's like. And actually it's sort of I mean there was a bit of a penny dropping moment in the sense, well, you know, if not, you know, if not me, who? No, you know, if not now when <laughs> that's sort of not quite as dramatic as that. But but it was that sort of thing. And actually if I you know really want to engage and make the most of the network. And as Jonathan was saying earlier, it's you know it's it's quite good to be sort of active in the network because it can just be a bit of an icebreaker to when you do meet other people within the firm or in other offices, sort of in the course of your work. And then sort of vice versa, if you've met those people, then when you meet them in the in the Pride Network, it, it's it's just sort of a better way of connecting people and, and, and making the, the firm and the, the people in it a bit more interconnected. So so it's really just it, it was it was really just sort of that sort of for me the, the human, you know, the human connection and the interpersonal side of it really that sort of drew me in uh, to to be more active
2: in the network. Yeah, I think it's probably the same for me. I mean, it, it's similar in, in you know, my personal life why I'm so outspoken about these issues or various issues in the LGBT community. And you know, people tell me that for some reason people will listen to me. I really don't know why or if it's even true. But I was kind of, I kind of felt a sense of not, not moral duty, maybe, but a, a, in some ways, a sense of duty to be a voice for people who weren't necessarily at that point or didn't feel confident enough to represent themselves to speak up about certain issues which i think is why i'm particularly so focused on inclusion um you know and getting and getting more women involved more uh, trans people more non-binary people more people of color involved in the network because you know sometimes it can be quite intimidating walking into a room of white gay men you know it's not something that people necessarily will feel comfortable doing um, so ensuring that it's very clear in all communications that there's an inclusive space is something that's really important to me. And, and frankly, not some not a message that I had seen being put out there regularly by networks ac- around the city. I think people are sort of waking up to this a bit more now. But generally, you know, I'm not talking about Sherman specifically, but generally when I see communications from, from other LGBT networks, I don't think enough focus is put on that. Um, so yeah, being... Being someone who's, you know, I guess confident enough just to, to, to say what I really think. Um, and I guess, you know, you could argue that's because I do so with very little risk. Um, so, you know, I- even more reason to do it, frankly. Um, but that, that's kind of where I've come from. I, I, you know, it's not something I, I, I did before, but I think being in the right environment like Sherman, somewhere where people are encouraging you to speak up, encouraging you to take, to get involved, it felt like the right time to sort of step up. Because I like James, I mean, I'm a, I'm a lateral, if you will. Uh, I've been here for three years now. But, you know, when I first joined, I was also sort of checking the lay of the land, you know, I didn't want to start um, stepping on anyone's toes. But then very quickly, it became apparent that People were very happy to, to get to have people involved, and it's, it's similarly, when James joined, it was very much like mm-hmm. get involved. Um, now you're a co <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's worth saying because yeah, you can take it for granted, I
1: suppose, but not every firm would be quite so supporting at sort of you know any level. Uh, you know, get get involved like this. So so yeah, it's it's definitely a good thing about Sherman. Mm.
0: So to touch on that point. Jonathan you made sort of a moral duty and kind of that idea of you know kind of representing and speaking for people because obviously talk about the way people may listen to someone like you or you know you are now in a position where you can sort of drive that change and obviously um Sherman is a law firm with a lot of um queer history with obviously one of the partners being um in a same-sex relationship allegedly sort of throughout his life almost 150 years ago. So kind of how does this Pride Network work not only sort of embrace that history but also kind of make sure that it's keeping up to date and almost sort of ready for the future and we're seeing this sort of LGBTQ plus debate develop into those kind of more like gender-centric um, circles of discussion and kind of how do we make sure that those people that identify um, as either trans or non-binary are represented within this network
2: yeah i think i think initially it starts with with policies having the right policies in place and the right (coughs) guidelines and providing people with training i mean the fact is that many people may not know a a trans person and when I say that I mean know that they are trans. I -hmm. I think most people know a trans person they just don't um, realise the person's trans but but having that understanding and sort of giving that training to people so that they don't sort of ask the the typical insensitive questions that often get asked or don't make assumptions or don't make jokes Um, and also having a very clear sort of policy on For example, if someone is thinking of transitioning, how that works. You know, it's obviously very straightforward for firms to have policies for people to take time off. You have maternity leave policies, paternity adoption and so on, medical leave, for example. So it's not something completely new. But I think it's important to make sure that it's it's kind of there in black and white so people know what, what to expect. And I think as well, you know, we mark a number of different days throughout the year um so and again this sort of goes to the point about ensuring that we're keeping we're talking about lgbt issues throughout the year but for example you know trans day of remembrance trans day of visibility non-binary day etc um making sure that we put communications out with you know resources we also have some fantastic training sessions run by organizations like global butterflies who are fantastic and do a lot of work a lot of great work around the city um to, to help bring people up on these issues um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot, I mean, there, there's a lot that still remains to be done. I think one of the most important things is making sure that the workplace is safe, is a safe space for people, um, because there is obviously a lot of noise out there in the world, particularly at the moment, um, and just making sure that, you know, people in the office feel safe and aren't being, don't need to sort of be subjected to that in the office. Great. So
0: would you say that there are any particular moments or, you know, pieces of policy, things that you've kind of been sort of fronting or in charge of that you're particularly proud of as co-chairs? And then similarly to that, are there still things that you want to see? Are there things that are in the works maybe at the moment um, that Sherman is doing to kind of drive that inclusivity and diversity amongst the firm?
2: I mean for for me in terms of most proud I mean we've done quite a lot of things that I'm quite proud of to be honest and it's certainly not me that is responsible for it but I remember I think it was a couple of it was before the pandemic in the before times um and we were working with an organization called Rainbow Cards Project and essentially this organization they you know send cards to LGBT people who've who've signed up to receive them um because they may not you know, have good relationships with their family, they may be spending Christmas alone, they may be spending their birthdays alone. So this happened to be around Christmas. Um, and essentially what you do, there's just lists of names and interests, and then people in the office could come uh, and write a card. And, you know, we, we I can't remember how many now, it's about 300 or something, mm. 300, 400 so you know people from all across the office it doesn't matter you didn't have to be part of the network anyone could come there were two sessions so people who job share or work part-time could also come um you know it was open to as i say open to everyone you could write as many as you wanted that i think was a great a great initiative and it was actually brought um to us by one of the pas who knew the organizer um who isn't who isn't you know she's one of the allies of our network Mm. so again it's not something that the LGBT members of the network have to come up with everything. Um, similarly, some of the pro bono work that we've been doing over the years, I've, I've been quite proud of. Lots of research to help uh, organisations who are trying to bring sort of strategic litigation uh, in countries to try and overturn, often you know, colonial era, era sorry, laws on you know, banning same-sex relations um, and having some success with that as well. Um, And finally, I also, uh, I'm quite proud of the support that we've given to the Black Network um, in the last couple of years, as well as allies to them. And I think that was very important.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd
2: actually like to do more
1: LGBT pro bono. Um, It's not something I've done a lot of uh, at Sherman yet, uh, which is sort of, it's just not something that sort of come along organically. Sometimes you need to Sort of have the right project come along, I suppose, um, but it is something we're thinking about. Uh, I think sort of longer term as well. Um, so I, I would certainly like to do more of that. As as and and you can see from uh, Jonathan's example of the rainbow cards. I mean, that's not pro bono, as in it's not legal. But I think it shows you can have you know s- small things and big things, and sometimes you know they can be equally impactful. Um, so so I think that's something to sort of look to for the future as well as sort of continuing all our uh, sort of ongoing projects that we mentioned earlier on because a big part of it is just sort of keeping keeping it going really as well and just actually being able to do that and you know have enough projects to keep keep the program going throughout the year I think is a big quite a big achievement in itself.
0: Yeah and sort of on that topic uh, Jonathan of kind of like the the support of allies sort of within the firm and sort of on a wider scale what do you sort of see as the importance of making sure that there is not only a strong structure of queer people within the network, but also allies as well? What, what do they give uh, to the network in order to sort of further it and its work?
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, ultimately in, in most organizations, you're going to be in a minority, even if you have a LGBT network, you know, the LGBT members of staff will, will in all likelihood be in a minority. So the the, the role of allies is to make sure that they, the LGBT people know that they are supported, they are in the majority when it comes to people who support them, if that makes sense. Um, And for Mm -hmm. me, it's been very important to have allies. I mean, I made quite a conscious decision when I moved to Sherman that I wasn't going to pretend um, because Mm. as I put it there, I'm too old for this, Um, but that's obviously, you know, that's obviously a joke, but, I just decided I'm not doing it. And I, frankly, uh, have probably quite quite a lot of privilege in being able to do that. Again, going back to the point I made earlier about the level of risk I'm taking by being out is pretty low. I mean, I have a supportive family. I have supportive friends, many of whom are straight allies. um, I have very supportive colleagues and I work for an organisation that supports me. So it wasn't exactly a huge risk. you know there's still always that trepidation you never know right whenever it's unfamiliar so having allies and having people who were so overtly sort of so so clearly supportive right from when i joined uh was frankly a bit of a shock but also really in a nice way it was really nice and just made me then frankly ultimately empowered me to want to a co-chair of the, of the mm. network and want to be so visible you know I've done a, a few internal articles about my sort of own journey which I mean god before I joined Sherman I would never have done that um you know I would never have had the confidence to do that so it's it's so important because you feel like you can just be yourself and you're not going to be judged or told to rein it in
1: <laughs> yeah
2: yeah I mean yeah
1: I mean, having allies. I mean, ideally, in the ideal world, everyone would ultimately be an ally. Um, but, but you sort of need to be realistic. And, and, and actually, some people are going to be more outspoken allies than others. So I think that's where having a formal ally program sort of can be of real use. Um, uh, because, as Jonathan said, it's sort of very reassuring when you sort of, you know, meet someone. And the fact they've got the, the ally on their signature or something like that you know, it sort of, it reassures them as well that we're all sort of on the same side, I suppose, if I can put it like that. And it's uh, so, so yeah, I just, I just think it's really important and every firm has a slightly different way of rolling out ally programs and encouraging people to sort of be be part of it. But um, it's just, uh, just to come back to some of the original points, it's kind of all about just sort of ingraining it into the culture. And as Jonathan was saying, it sort of really is here um, to the point where I'm not sure we even need a formal ally program anymore it's not really something that's you know needs to be promoted it's just sort of there part of the part of the fabric in the same way that the uh, Sterling pride network is so yeah again that's just really great
0: yeah i think that's a really interesting point that you make there james because actually i think there is a massive divide within the community of those that feel accepted and included and those that feel marginalized and actually perhaps it is down to us to make sure that no one is left behind. And, you know, we see that within queer representation and queer media, where a lot of the stories that are told are very white, cis, gay centric, when actually that's not a fair depiction of the community as a whole. And so, how do you sort of see yourselves, I suppose, as allies to other members within the community?
2: Yeah, I'm glad you said that in terms of the number of stories. I think indeed that's the problem, right, is that so many of the stories or so many of our understanding of what being LGBT is, is based on a very narrow sort of section of the LGBT society. And yes, that group, you know, can get married now and adopt and do all these wonderful things. Um, But it doesn't mean that everyone in the LGBT uh, community's lives are equally as fantastic. Um, and indeed, a lot of people are still suffering. I mean, not to put too much of a downer on things, but, you know, homophobic and transphobic hate crimes, you know, rose sharply after lockdown, which is, you know, terrifying. Um, and there's a lot, you know, you don't have to look far, um, at least in LGBT media, if not mainstream media, to find stories of, of incidents um, of hate crimes. So, you know, it's, and it's very important that we don't lose sight of that. And I think when you look at the statistics, you'll see that often those hate crimes are perpetrated against people who, within the LGBTQ net- network, who aren't, as I say, white gay men. Sometimes it is, of course. Um, but there is, a, you know, a, for example, trans people are, are very h- highly likely to be the victims of some sort of hate crime or, or violence. So I think understanding that, what's going on in the world, not just the workplace, um, is important, is an important part of being in our life, whether it's for your, your uh, trans colleagues or whether it's for your black colleagues or female colleagues or whatever it might be. You know, there are things going on in the world that can have a real impact on their mental health, even if it's not something that's necessarily happened to your colleague that day, you know, it could bring back memories of something. It could just generally add to the sense of fear of being whatever it is that that person is out in the world. And so as an ally, being live to that, not just sort of clicking past that news story because it looks a bit depressing or just switching off because it doesn't really affect me. Um, I think that's a really important way of being an ally. Um, yeah, sorry, James. Do you know yeah, no, no to I mean, yeah, just just sort of, so in a, in a
1: way, basically, you know, just listening to the other affinity mm-hmm. groups and seeing what they've got going on because... Mm-hmm. The whole point, you know, the whole, one, of the, one of the ways that just sort of discrimination and prejudice can come from is just, you know, well, ignorance and, you know, closing minds, closing ears. So I guess, you know, one way to look at it is, well, we need to do the opposite. So if we're just, you know, going through our own little bubbles, do our own little thing, our, our own little things, our own little projects, you know, it's, it's just an echo chamber. You're not really doing anything or achieving anything. So you do need... The, I guess it's the theme, probably the theme coming out in this podcast now about yeah the intersectionality and you know listening to the other affinity groups supporting them working with them because um, we're all sort of you know we're all sort of minorities I suppose in different ways uh, we're, we're not minorities in every way that's that's true as Jonathan said you know both I mean both of us are, are white white males but um, but but I think when you sort of fit us all together we're all part of that you know kind of quite colorful rich puzzle and actually when you look at us there you see oh well that's you know (laughs) these are the people in a way it's not just a one minority or you know some some one monolithic group that can be stereotyped or have the supporting cast it's like you know this is the world this is a group of people and actually yeah and and you know eventually maybe uh, I don't, don't want to go into too much detail on this, but it's interesting that Jonathan said how, you know, you may know a trans person, you just don't know you know them. And the same could have been said for gay people 30 years ago. So, you know, eventually, maybe it won't even be that we're in quite such a minority when you add up all our differences and sort of st- start, you know, embracing the differences, sort of in danger of verging onto cliche now. But I think...
2: Uh, I think I got my point out there yeah I, I mean you can't you can't ultimately be an ally to the LGBT community if you're not also an ally to women an ally to people of mm-hmm. color you know um so because because of the intersections right so yeah you've really I mean you know arguably it's a lot of work I mean I don't I don't find it a lot of work but I guess I've been doing it longer than some people <laughs> um but yeah I think just as I say keeping keeping an eye on the on the issues and and actually when you read a news article think do I know anyone that who would who if they read this article would it would sort of trigger them or it would make them feel a certain way and just to be aware of that doesn't mean you have to go and start going up to your LGBT colleagues and be like oh I saw the the hate crime statistics how are you feeling that's a bit heavy (laughs) in the workplace but you know having it in the back of your mind so that if someone wants to talk about it is is a good thing it shows that you've read the article that you have actually thought about it and that you care I guess
1: yeah just just being open and live to it and you know not being closed-minded goes a long way I think um yeah
0: yeah so we've kind of touched on that idea of both support but also the the prevalence of hate that's still out there against the LGBTQ plus community so to those that are kind of stimulating the conversation that pride has kind of exceeded its purpose or the time for pride has passed what do you say to them and and why is pride still important to you personally but also on on a wider scale
2: well I think I mean I kind of alluded to this point earlier about you know I think if you're a a a white gay man living in London um middle class uh, then maybe you don't need to go to Pride, and that's fine. Um, but it's a shame, because I think if you are in that category, you should then be an ally and want to support the rest of the community, because I think it's pretty clear that the rest of the community isn't li- living their best life, if I can use mm. that, using that quote, you know, in, in, in many ways. And I think that's why Pride is so important, because, frankly, you know, yes, the lo- laws have been changed, uh, and ostensibly, we have our legal rights, um, which me and James will know all about. But um, as lawyers, but but it, it doesn't mean that the reality on the ground is that everyone is now suddenly fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are still lots of um, lots of issues, particularly, for example, around mental health um, for LGBT people, uh, and in particular for trans people. So, I think if Pride's focus you know can shift to be more supportive of the of the people that it needs to be supportive of then I think that's that's great but I still think as well it's important to have a moment in the year where you're focusing on on one particular issue you know we we have days of the year for all sorts of things or weeks or months for all sorts of causes um, And it's not that you don't care about those causes for the rest of the year. It's just that okay, let's take the time today. We're talking about this. Let's all focus our energies on this. And I think that's why pride is helpful because it gives everyone a moment just to focus on that and think about right what's what's actually happening, what's going wrong, what can we do, and give people who, for example, some allies who, you know don't think about this every day because they don't have to. And, that, you know, that's in some ways that's fine. Everyone has other things to worry about, but, but this will give everyone a moment to really focus on this. And I think that's why it's sort of still important. Yeah.
1: I mean, don't want to be sort of reductive, but, you know, if we've still got father's day or siblings day and things like this, why not pride? Yeah. Uh, I mean, those are pretty basic things. So this is, you know, equally fundamental, if not more so, for all the reasons we discussed.
0: Yeah, so I want to go back to um, one of the words that we were using earlier, and that of kind of the the LGBT agenda, um, which is something that sometimes has that sort of toxic turned against us use um, by people who are either homophobic, transphobic, etc. But what kind of case can be made for... um, spreading that LGBT agenda and making sure that Pride and education about queer people is something that isn't just part of Pride Month but is something that people are constantly aware of, people are constantly learning about and why do you feel that uh, the education and celebration of queer people should go beyond just that of Pride Month?
2: I think I think it's the same for any issue. You know, why should we talk about mental health other than just during Mental Health Week? Why should we talk about Black History rather than in Black History Month? Because it it's something that affects people all year round, um, and it's part of our it's part of our society. It's part of our culture. It's just reflecting um, reality. Exactly. Isn't it? You can't
1: ignore the reality. You can't just acknowledge reality on one day of the year, which is obviously what some people would like to do. If that. Uh, you need to acknowledge reality every day of the year. Otherwise, you are doing the closing your eyes, closing your mind thing, basically.
2: Yeah, I mean, LGBT people don't just go back into their boroughs after Pride. You know, they are still there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's very, for people who who don't want to hear it, that's that's fine. You know, it's a it's a it's a free society um but i think the the harm really comes from apathy whenever when 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 the majority of people if sorry not when i don't think majority of people are apathetic thank goodness um but if if people become apathetic that's when it becomes more difficult i think
0: Yeah, fabulous. So, James, I think earlier you were talking about sort of the the typical calendar in terms of events, training, uh, recruitment practices um, that Sherman does uh, with regards to um, Sterling Pride and LGBTQ people. Um, And obviously you were talking about the fact that it being a year wide thing is kind of a logistical thing as well as sort of um, an imperative thing to to make sure that um, that relevance is sustained throughout the year. Um, but could you kind of sort of um perhaps remind us of sort of like a typical um sort of calendar in terms of you know landmark events um or things that sherman does uh, throughout the year to ensure that um, lgBT colleagues are supported all year round
1: yes yeah well we we sort of do try as 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 you said we sort of do try to spread it out because, yeah, there should be some sort of contact point regularly throughout the year, whether it's sort of more internal network facing or more e- external facing. So, you know, around the key months of Pride months and LGBT history months, we sort of look for some, ideally some sort of set piece event in those months that maybe has a bit of a wider impact. So I mentioned the fireside chat that was in LGBT history month, you know, open to anyone and everyone. Uh, you know, maybe a client event, again, something more outward facing in, um, in Pride Month or, or thereabouts. Um, and, and then it's really just sort of trying to keep engagement and sort of interspersing the rest of the year. And, and as I say, it's sort of a big part of it is really keeping it going so that that could be, you know, the, the, the graduate recruitment events for a few months, uh, making sure, you know, after Pride Month, it just doesn't all go quiet for the rest of the year, having a network catch up drinks, um, I, I think, you know, yeah, it, it's really about keeping the calendar sufficiently busy. So there are these touch points for people to get engaged and just remember that, you know, we're here if they, they want to get involved or, or sort of need to get involved. Um, yeah, I mean, and then there's various sort of little bulletins as well that go out on on our intranet throughout the year as well that help remind people. And I mean, as Jonathan said, I'm not sure I would describe uh, sort of what we do as being a figurehead type role, but you, I suppose you do get enough press, if you like, internally that people just sort of know you're there as well, if, if that's helpful to them. Um, so, so yeah, they're just sort of getting that internal visibility there. Um, helps. I don't know if you have anything to
2: add, Jonathan. No, I think that's, I think that's right. And one of the other things we're trying to do but I'm trying to do it in particular because I feel like sometimes, you know, the the same few people will end up doing the bulletins in Mm. terms of putting their face out there. And actually what we've been really lucky, really fortunate actually recently is to have lots more people willing to to write an article about, you know, their experiences um, as an out person or as an ally. And so I think it just makes it more interesting because you're hearing from lots of different people. And maybe there'll be people in the network in the in the firm that sort of oh I didn't know so and so was was gay or lesbian not that it matters but it's you just feel that you get to know them a bit better once you've read their article talking about their experiences and it just I don't know just I I think it's just makes people a bit closer in a way yeah Yeah. and I just
1: did a pro bono article once like so with a different hat on you know just a general about why why get involved with this why do that and I, I think, you know, that was off the back of having done a uh, sort of, I think, moderated a, a talk uh, last year during LGBT history month. And, uh, and, and you know, kind of, it's just a way of sort of being out there and keeping engaged and just, again, all the all the interconnectivity and um, people might sort of, sort of see you with both hats on and it's just about integrating, integrating these things into the firm, I think.
0: Yeah. So, um, this is one of the things that we've sort of alluded to throughout this conversation, but kind of something that I've experienced personally, and I know um, my other friends that identify as LGBTQ plus feel is these queer spaces, these queer networks, such as Sterling pride are very, very valuable as a support network full of queer people and allies. But what kind of reassurances can you both give um, on a wider scale within the firm that those voices are heard beyond the network. That change is you know, diverse across the whole firm. And it's not one of those environments where everyone that identifies as LGBTQ plus or a strong ally sits in a bubble and then everyone else just operates around. How do you make sure that the issues you raise, the things that you want to change, um, the policies you introduce are fulfilled throughout the whole
2: firm? That's a very good question, and luckily we've got a good answer for you, <laughs> um, because we're very fortunate that we we have a diversity and inclusion task force, which um, has a number of quite senior partners from across across the firm, I think, um, and also has the the senior partner and managing partner sits on that as well, um, and once a quarter, all the inclusion networks sort of sit on a call with them. Um, so you're talking you know to the most senior people at the firm who can actually sort of drive the agenda and it's just very much a two-way process you know they might they might have ideas but they often would want us to sort of set the agenda because we're the people who know I guess the most about it um, and so you'll have selling pride you'll have our black network our women's network our Veterans Network, all sorts of different networks. Um, at the firm, who will sit on that call and give updates and ask questions and um, to make requests, if you will. I mean, generally, whenever we've tried to do something, it's been it's been fairly easy. I mean, like any organisation, there there will be a few hoops of to jump through, um, and we're also a law firm, so you know everything gets read several times. Um, but for example, recently. We've put together a list of FAQs for LGBT applicants, um, which is essentially just a list of the questions that we thought LGBT people would want to ask, but perhaps wouldn't feel comfortable asking in an interview process. Um, just so they the information will be there on our website. Um, just to, you know, just to help. I think it's just easier than having to scroll through the website and, you know, troll through the website, sorry, and, and find it. Um, you know, and that was an idea we had diversity and inclusion team and in I was very happy with it uh it's been passed on to the relevant teams to get sign off and I think I understand now it's been signed off and we'll we'll go off at some point so you know, that's one example of something where we we literally wrote the thing ourselves and then sort of sent it off to get approved and it's approved and it's quite (laughs) I think we're both pleasantly surprised um but just just because of more of the uh more because of the admin than anything else but but um yeah that I mean that's an example to show that you know the firm wants us to to do more um and it's about making sure that the right people are in the room who know enough sort of about about a particular issue to come up with the right solutions if that makes sense. Mm.
0: Yeah, fantastic. So just finally, um, I thought we'd end with um, just one piece of advice that both of you would share with either a younger version of yourselves or to those listening that are perhaps um, a little scared or terrified by the prospect of you know applying for spring weeks or internships or, you know, maybe they're graduating this year and, and about to start their first job um, in either a legal or other corporate sphere. So, what would you say to them in terms of reassuring them that queer people are welcome, accepted, celebrated within a firm like Sherman Sterling um, and the corporate world as a whole?
1: I mean, I would say, and this is a combination maybe to my younger self and just general advice. You know, it's. I would say it's it's uh, it's a marathon, not a sprint, um, and that you know it's great that. It, Now in the 2020s, there's there's so many sort of support networks and mechanisms there to help you, and and things really have come on quite a bit. Um, and just know that sort of all of those are there and they're there for you to engage with if and when you want them on whatever sort of issues you want to engage on. You know, if it's if it's a sort of a black gay woman, you know, you can join your firm's women's network. You know, maybe it's not quite the right time to join the LGBT network, but the time for that may come. So that's what I mean. You know, it, it's really not a sprint, um, and you can just take things at your own pace and time. But as I said at the beginning, you know, that there's very few fields to work in that are more open and welcoming, uh, in my experience, than than this one. So, so that's definitely
2: sort of reassurance to take. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and I don't know if this is really advice, but yeah, ultimately. <laughs> I mean, your sexuality or your gender identity is your business and most people have other things going on in their life that they're probably not going to be that focused on your sexuality or your gender identity, I, I tend to find anyway. <laughs> yeah. <you> know, um, <laughs> I, know, I know it can be, and I don't mean that to sound dismissive at all, but I think for a lot of people nowadays it's sort of not really something they think about, in the, se- in the sense of like speculating about people's identity or whatever it might be. It's just sort of you tell people what it is you want to tell them and that that's sort of that sort of it. You know, and if you if you want to come out or start transitioning or whatever it might be, you know, then people generally will say, okay. <laughs> it, it doesn't usually Get more and more intense than that, I don't think. But again, as as James said, you know, you've got these networks, you've got allies um, that can support you if you if you are concerned about how to go about that process. And, you know, and I've I've helped people through that process, whether it's coming out or or considering transitioning. Um, so you know, it's not it, it's something you should feel comfortable leaning on both HR and also your your LGBT network colleagues if you if you
0: want to brilliant i think that just about wraps us up thank you so much uh to jonathan james for you both giving up some of your time and sharing your expertise and experience and advice with us all and you know giving up your time to speak to me today i really really appreciate it and to those that are listening thank you so much for joining us hope you have enjoyed plans first podcast and we look forward to you joining us for the next one goodbye